Welcome to another episode of Live Sound Bootcamp. I'm Brendan Draper. I'm Joe Santarpia. And I'm Ryan John. And today we're starting what is most likely going to be a multi-episode series on building a monitor mix. So, yeah, today we're going to be covering things like getting your cue wedge set up so you can hear what's going on, talkbacks between you and stage, and um, your whole workflow during soundcheck, and Sounds a bunch fun. of other details. Yeah, it's a juicy one. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's. It. I mean, this is a scary thing. You know, when you're starting out in this job, the idea of being a monitor engineer it just seems, it seems terrifying. It's tough, especially with all these feedback horror stories, right? Yeah, yeah. Your first monitor gig is, you know, you'll never forget that. It's, you know, and also the first time you get screamed at while doing monitors, you'll never forget that either. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yo, have you ever had anything thrown at you while doing monitors? Uh, thrown at me. I don't think out of anger, but I've definitely been like, like savagely screamed at for sure. <laughs> out of anger in that one. I won't mention, I won't mention who multiple <laughs> times also, but yeah. Now, now here's the important question. Did you deserve it? Uh, at the time. Yeah. I, I had never done it. I had no idea what I was doing and yeah. All right. All right. I wish I had this podcast to reference. Yeah. <laughs> Brendan, Brendan, you ever had anything thrown at you? Uh, no, not thrown. Okay, okay. <laughs> yelling, yelling, yes. Not okay. not full on in the face screaming, but like yelling from across stage, like yeah. angrily, I guess. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Damn. Uh, uh, I think we're going to yeah. scare anyone thinking about doing this out of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I know. Like, like, like wear armor. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's not a bad idea. At least like a helmet. That might, you know, help you out. <laughs> as long as it doesn't cover your ears. Maybe like a face shield. Make sure you put your IEMs on before the helmet. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, that that actually, interestingly enough, that kind of brings us to our, our first little section here. The reason you would, you know, want to do that is so you could hear while this was all going on. <laughs> <laughs> do you really want to hear it? You want to nah. hear it. And also, though, like, I feel like I've seen so many people out there just like not actually listening like they don't even have a cue wedge or they don't have cans on you know that's so important to be listening to what you're doing you know otherwise you're literally painting blind like how how just 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 for clarity what is a cue wedge a cue wedge is um it's your own if it's a wedge it's it's a it's a monitor that's set up through the solo bus of your console so when you solo a channel or you solo a mix um it's sent to that cue wedge um that way you can listen to and, what what's going on you know and and ideally the 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 wedge you have as a monitor engineer is exactly the same as the wedges that the artist has on stage. Right. Ideally, so, ideally, your cue scenario is is the identical to what's going on on stage. It's the same model in ears. It's the same monitor through the same amplifier and same processing. Um, ideally, but you know, sometimes you don't have that luxury, and you just have your headphones, and that's better than nothing. So, so why is this set up through the cue? Why is this set up through the monitor bus? Well, you want to be able to jump around and go between, you know, soloing individual get channels. Up, get up and jump around. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you Sorry, want to be able- <laughs> Too easy, I guess. <laughs> House of Pain, is that? House of Pain? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Hey, um, I did monitors for them once. Really? Was was DJ Lethal <laughs> yeah. there? I don't remember. It was a really long time ago, and it was oh, like okay. some crazy festival, and I'm pretty sure I had a terrible day. 
<laughs> so I, I, I have erased that from my brain. <laughs> so you were literally in a house of pain. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, All right, so sorry, I, I keep pulling you off the topic. So yeah, why why is this going through Monderpath? Um, oh yeah, so so you can uh, you, so you're not limited to one you know source. You know you can bounce around. You can solo individual channels or multiple channels, input channels, um, as well as output channels or your monitor mixes. You know you can. And then a lot of uh, consoles have that tied to sends on faders. So when you hit solo, uh, it'll uh, apply that mix to the sends on fader, um, which we'll get into a little bit later. Right. And, and ultimately, the idea there is that if you're going to affect, let's say, the singer's mix, you need to be listening to the singer's mix. So you solo it, right. and that comes up in your cue wedge, right? Absolutely. Whereas, you know, if you want to affect the drummer's mix... You solo the drummer's mix on your console, and that comes up in your cue wedge. Yeah, exactly. And I guess it, I guess it's the same for IEMs, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You, yeah. You know, you've got that yes. that solo bus going to your set of ears, um, and then you know you can cue whoever's in your mix. Yeah, and then and then I guess there's also the the instances where there's IEMs and wedges on stage, and that becomes a little bit more complicated because right. you don't want to listen to an IEM mix through a wedge because it's not really properly representative of what the artist is hearing, and you don't want to listen to a wedge mix through IEMs because it's not really properly representative of what the artist is hearing. If you only have one, then you know obviously you use what you got. Yeah, mm-hmm. but if you have the option and ability to do them as separate things. Um, a lot of desks these days have multiple monitor buses. So yeah. you might use monitor bus A uh, for everything that is going to a wedge. So if, let's say, your guitar player and your bass player are using wedges, uh, you might set the guitar player and the bass player's aux masters to feed uh, monitor bus A. And if everybody else is on in-ears, you might set all of them to monitor bus B. And then you set QB to feed your in-ear pack and QA to feed your wedge. And you typically have little master faders for each of them, so you can kind of pull them up and down and change the levels if you need them, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's all the bells and whistles. Yeah, and that that is the complicated one. When you've got wedges and ears, it's yeah. you kind of need to remember who's on which, and you need to remember to turn them up and turn them down. And it, it sucks when you've accidentally left uh, a master fader all the way up, and you switch to a wedge mix, and it's just yes. blasting at you. Yeah, totally. It's, it's that's also, the worst. Also, if you if you are in that situation and you have your ears in, but you need to monitor a wedge mix when someone's just on the wedge with your ears in it's going to sound different than them standing out yeah. there without ears yeah. in, too. Oh, it's so annoying. So. You, get, you just got to pop them out real quick and then put them back in, and yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Do, we, do we go as far as to talk about, you know, what happens when, you only, when you're in that scenario, you have ears and wedges, but you only have one solo bus? Uh, it's, it can be complicated routing, but how you want to do it is kind of up to you, to be honest, because there's, there's too many options there. Yeah, I guess so. Like ultimately console specific. It's very console specific. Yeah. Or it could be, you know, artist specific. Like if you know, you're going to be adjusting the mix for the lead singer, who's only on ears the whole time. Like I would probably, and I only had the option to go with either ears or wedge. I would go with ears, even if the rest of the band was on wedges, I think. Oh, you mean for from your monitoring perspective? From yeah, my, totally. I get that. Yeah, if I, if I only had the choice between a wedge or ears, you know, in that situation. You know, if I if I only had the choice of of one, and and this might sound kind of crazy, uh, I would pick the one that is most likely to be 
you know, the feedback causing issue. So if I got a vocalist, if I got a vocalist that has a microphone and they've got a wedge, yeah, then I'm going to listen through a wedge. Even if everyone else is on ears. Yeah, I agree. That makes sense. Yeah, and because also with ears, worst case, you could just plug into the, you know, the headphone output of the desk. You know, right. You're not going right. through all your RF stuff. Sure. So sonically, it might, it might be a little different, but you're kind of, you know, you're kind of figuring out what your best case scenario is and where you'll be able to cover as much ground as possible. Definitely, definitely. So, you know, once you've got that set up, in my opinion, the most important thing to get going is talkbacks. And it's because right. as, as you're building in-ear mixes or, or monitor mixes, communication between front of house and stage and monitors and stage um, is pretty much the most important Paramount. thing. I, I'm pretty sure in, in one of the previous episodes, we, we kept repeating over and over again how important communication is when you're dealing with an artist on stage and you're the one off to the side, right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the only way to do that is to make sure you've got a talkback and everyone can hear you. So, is, do, do you guys have any particular ways in which you deal with talkbacks? I mean, do you, do you put them in side fills so that they go everywhere, or do you put them in all the wedges? Or like, what's what's your way of doing it, Brendan? Um, yeah, usually I'll just throw them in all the wedges and then all the ears as well. Same for you, Joe. Yeah, yeah. You know, if if there are side fills, sometimes it's easier just to send it there. That way, you're not kind of I don't know killing everyone with just massive amounts of volume and conversation all the time it kind of comes from a different place but uh yeah what you know whatever just as yeah. long as as long as everyone can hear it it almost doesn't matter you could put it in one wedge you know as right. long as everyone can hear it then you're good yeah yeah definitely i i, I personally if i have the option to put them in side fills i prefer putting them there than all the wedges because i don't really want someone to compare my voice's level in a wedge to their own yeah because <laughs> yeah good point because when i'm talking into my talk back i might have it right on my mouth and mm-hmm. i might be talking kind of loudly so there's going to be a, a different level of clarity versus a vocalist who kind of moves around a mic and a stand and i don't want them to hear me and want expect that. them to sound the same as me feel like the same amount of low end right do, do you know what i mean yeah that makes sense yeah you don't you don't want to set the bar too high yeah, yeah you know as, as bad <laughs> as that sounds you're right you don't want to you don't want to no. Yeah. Set the bar so high that they have expectations that are potentially unachievable. Yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the psychology component right there. Yeah, we're gonna have to do like four more episodes on just you know audio psychology. You know, keep talking about it, but yeah, literally, like that's we're gonna have to. Yeah, yeah. So you know, once you got talkbacks up, w- w- what's the next step? Um, the next the next step in my mind is you know getting into our sound check. Like, how are we gonna go? about checking all the lines on stage and getting them up and running for both front of house and monitors. So, yeah. Like where do you guys start with that? Well, yeah, I've got an I've got an odd one here, but I I have weird workflows, but I think I think the most important thing is that if you're going to send anything to anyone on stage, you need to listen to it first. Yeah. Right? And and yeah. it could be for any of a million reasons. It could be just that you need to hear it to make sure that it's not a super noisy signal. Yeah. You need to hear it to make sure it is the right instrument. You need to hear it to make sure it doesn't sound crazy. Or or to make sure that it's not accidentally the mic that's near it, but not the mic that's on it. Yeah. You know, so you need to know what's coming up on your channels on your console before you send it to anyone. So never should there be a situation where someone goes, oh, can you give me some guitar? And you just look at the fader labeled guitar and start pushing it up to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say, cue it up, you know, cue up the source, treat it, 
you know, get get the gain. You know, I know we talked a little bit about ringing out wedges and, and how we do that versus, you know, starting with the preamp or the send, but figure out where the gain level is, I guess, for the majority of instruments, maybe a little slightly different workflow on a vocal. Uh, you know, EQ it a little bit, get it sounding kind of nice in that cue or wherever it's going to end up and, you know, and then apply dynamics as well if you need to and then send it, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Ryan, you said something when we were talking about this episode that kind of rang rang with me a little bit about, you know, you you don't want your artist necessarily hearing you working, you know, send, yeah. send them something, mm -hmm. yeah, send them something decent right from the get. Don't send them something crappy and then, you know, just, just, just start with something nice, treat it and then send it. Well, you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to make your artist wait for it to be right, um, you might as well do it and then send something, send something to them that's already great. That's already rather great. Rather than sending it to them and then make it right. Plus, mm -hmm. once yeah. you've done that, they now have an opinion on the sound and you're shifting it and you're changing things and they can now have an opinion on how you've changed things versus how it started. Yeah. So in some ways, it's better for you to just, you treat it, you make it sound good, send it to them. Yeah, and I, maybe we can make a distinction between making it sound like great or amazing and making it, making sure it doesn't sound bad. Right. So right. like, yeah, it's not like you're doing, you don't spend hours. Yeah. You don't, you don't like go over and above, like putting a bunch of plugins on to like make it sound like a album mix, but you make sure there's nothing wrong with the signal and that it sounds pretty much like what you would want to hear. And then you send it to them. Right. Yeah. There, there are three super easy examples here, right? First one might be you pull up a kick drum, and when you listen to it in your cue, it has a ringing tone to it where it goes boo, boo yeah. every time. First thing I'm going to do there is clean up that ring. Yeah. And I'm going to do it with an EQ uh, first. And then if for some reason that EQ can't clean it up, then maybe we'll go to things like gating. But the th there's very often drummers who don't like gating. Mm -hmm. um, so first I'll start with an EQ. So I'm going to clean that up. And then I'm going to send it to them so that they don't go, whoa, that sounds crazy. Yeah. And they don't have to come back at me and ask me to change something. Instead, they're like, cool, thumbs up or, you know, more, less, whatever. Uh, the second great example is um, guitars. Uh, fenders through Fender amps. They are super bright, typically really harsh. <laughs> I mean, you're laughing because you yeah. know this is true and you deal with it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> harsh and bassy you know there's some low end work to be done too yeah. so if it's like a twin there's so much crazy low end there you, like you gotta get rid of some of that crap so as well as the top to end stuff up. before you send it I mean the, the, yeah. other, the other thing is that the point of getting this into monitors is to make it so the artist can hear what they're playing clearly right yep. it's not necessarily yeah. about like pristine record sounding stuff it's about making sure the notes are clear and making sure their articulation is clear. Yeah, so, do they need that 50 hertz in guitar? Definitely not. It just it doesn't no. give them any better clarity for what it is they're playing. And then you know that that screaming 3.15k or whatever that's coming off that Fender, you know, put a really tight notch on it, pull it out till it sounds smooth to you, because you don't want to kill their ears either, and you don't want to kill your own. So pull that out and then send it to them. And then the obvious last one is a vocalist and proximity effect, the amount of low end that comes off vocals when people are right on the mic. Mm -hmm. I clean that up, then I send it to them. Yeah, and I, mean, I mean, I feel yeah. like this, this all makes the case for doing a little pre-EQ if you have the ability to before, you know, before you even start line checking, like especially with your, with your high-pass filters. I was going to say at least high pass, yeah. you know, that, just kind of a general rule in mixing monitors is you probably need less low end than you think, 
you know, once front of house is open and the subs are going and stuff like that, mm-hmm. all that crap is going to be coming from there, mm-hmm. you know, right, depending right. on where you are. But the majority of the time, and you really yeah, don't. it turns pretty mushy, yeah. It, it really does. Yeah, it, and the more low end you're throwing out of those monitors, the more front of house is going to have to deal with, you know, the the low end shooting off the back of the monitors because it basically goes omni when it comes out of the wedges, right? Right, right. Yeah, and and, and the harder they're going to be working and, you know, the less clear they're going to be for other stuff. When you've got, like, a single 12-inch driver trying to blast 50 hertz, like, it's going to screw a lot of other stuff up if it's working too hard, you know? Just... Yeah. You'll you'll find that getting rid of it will clean up the sound on stage uh, dramatically. Well, you know, another point that, Brendan, you just touched on, I mean, this is not... This is not a battle, if you will, in this in this regard. And front of house and monitors, in this case, have to absolutely work together in order to yeah. optimize everything, right? So, you know, Joe, as you said, once front of house is up, you've got, you know, subs lined across the front of the stage or wherever they may be, you're throwing tons of low end on the stage, right? Yeah. At the same time, when you've got a bunch of wedges going that have lots of low end in them, that low end's coming off the stage and affects the front of house mix. Phase nightmare. So as a result, front of house ends up tailoring to to kind of accommodate for all that extra low end coming off the stage. Monders ends up tailoring for all the extra low end that is on stage. I mean, all, all in all, it is generally safer to clean up low end before you start putting it into wedges. And there are going to be times where you do that and then the artist goes, that sounds a little thin, and then find yeah. a way to give it back to them. Um, or... Say, just hang on a second. Hey, front of house guy, can you turn this on in the PA? Right. Because that might clean that up a little bit. Maybe it suddenly won't be thin anymore. You know, there's a lot of options yeah. there, but you do need to understand that the two interact so heavily with one another, you know? Big time. Yeah. So, okay, so we're starting a line check here. Who, Who's calling it? Who's calling the line check? Ah, uh, see, this, this is an interesting one. So, when I'm on front of house... I always tell the monitor engineer to call the line check. And just just for clarity, calling a line check means you're the one saying which channels we're listening to, and you're the one saying when we go to the next channel. And you also call which channels we're going to next, right? So if I'm at front of house, I know I only have one mix to build. And I I feel like I'm reasonably adept at doing this, so I can do it quite quickly. (laughs) Um, yeah, so, at least to start, you know. So I, I was, yeah, definitely. So I always tell, you know, monitor guy, uh, you call the sound check, you call the line check, whatever, and um, we go at their pace because they need to get the tone together, send it to multiple musicians, then move on to the next thing. Get the tone together, send it to multiple musicians. I'm just pulling it up, making it sound nice, and then waiting. Ultimately, yeah. You, front of house has one set of outs to go to. Monitor has to build it for. I don't know, four to five different people, you know, that takes, takes more time. Ah, uh, you're aiming small, more <laughs> like four to 60. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, if you do it that way and have monitors call every once in a while, uh, monitors will skip inputs that front of house needs or won't, won't do much time on it. For example, the toms, I always need more time True. on toms than monitors needs, yeah. you know, so that someone will hit it and, and everyone will go, no, I don't need that in my wedge. And I go, wait, 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 but I need it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll stop the monitor guy at that point and say, Hey, just give me a couple more hits on that. Or I'll wait till they're done with the whole line check. And then at the end, go through it and then kind of, you know, get it all tailored in. As a monitor engineer, I, I know I usually don't need things like toms or overheads, but I usually just like go through them anyways and then kind of look, I listen to the PA and what yeah. front of house is doing and kind of like try and know like when he's getting t- or he or she is getting close to 
done with them. I don't know if that's something you guys do too. Yeah. So how, how do you know when the other engineer seems like they're done? Because this, this is something that I, I guess I've also learned over time. And maybe I've never even thought about how this has come about. In, in super pro operations I've seen, you know, you've got them both on talkback and, you know, whoever's calling it, they call it and then, you know, they'll, whoever's done with it will come on the talkback. They'll say, okay, front of house is good. Monitors is good. Or, or even for short, just like, you know, kick. Okay. Front of house monitors. They'll just call it out they're, as, yeah. as they're yeah. good with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and indicating that, that you can move on. And, and if you get into some of the, some of the bigger scale stuff when you're doing festivals and they've got a broadcast for it too, they're going to go through every single input and it's going to go. Uh, you'll hear it once you're good with it you go front of house uh, once monitors is good with it they go monitors and then you gotta wait for the guy to go broadcast yeah and then as soon as he's good with it then we move on to the next thing so you know in in my example I guess uh, you know monitors calls my line check but how often do you guys end up dealing with front of house calling line check and you know I imagine you guys run into enough scenarios where you're doing monitors for a touring artist who's come in and they have a front of house guy but not a monitor guy what happens then touring as a front of house guy prior to touring with a monitor guy I, i'll usually do exactly that have the uh, have the monitor guy call it do you see any benefit in the front of house guy calling the check i guess yeah in the instance where like they know the band and they know what's going on um and as long as they're conscious of waiting for the monitor guy what are you getting at? I guess. Well, I, I guess you could see the front of house engineer could visibly see if changes were still happening with monitors because they have the vantage point where they could see the stage and see that the band members are still asking for things in their monitors. So if he's running it, he could know like, right. oh, I can see that they're still working on that guitar because everyone's raising their hands still or people are talking back and forth. See now that that is a very aware and sure. smart front of house guy because not everybody not everybody pays attention like that. They go, "Cool, I'm good with kick. Right. Let's move on." And then everyone's like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa." You know? Um <laughs> <laughs> But I, I guess that leads into the next question. I mean, what about order of channels? Like, you know, I just implied it goes kick snare and in 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 an order of maybe an input list, but what what do you well, do there, Brendan? I I think it cha this changes for me because sometimes like the band won't be ready all at the same time to do soundcheck. And sometimes I don't want them to be because it's easier to deal with one person at a time. Um, well, I mean, unless you're, I don't actually, let me, let me rephrase that because it is better if everyone's up there so that you can spread the mix around to all their wedges. But sometimes you'll line check just the drums by themselves because the drummer is ready to go, at least in a venue type situation, you know? Maybe we need to interject here for a minute and break down the difference between yeah, line yeah, check and sound check, too. That would be a good call. So, I don't know, Joe, you want to you break that down for me? Yeah, sure. Line check is a, a really quick, just top to bottom, um, either tapping or just making some sort of noise through every input just to verify that they're there, they're getting signal, and they're noise-free. Uh, you're not going to do any treatment at this point. You're not going to really worry about gain structure too much or anything like that yet. That's more for sound check when the person playing the instrument is physically on stage playing the instrument as they would um, during the show and you're... Uh, building your mix and gain structure and all that. You know, you know what's interesting about that is that that's that's actually that's exactly how most people I know would describe it too. But um, on am I wrong? No, 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 no. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But <laughs> I guess I guess I've got I've got three steps and they're three discrete steps. And with with my normal touring act, we do them as three separate steps. We do a tap check 
followed by a line check, yeah. followed by a sound check, right? Mm. So the tap check is, is what you just said. You know, it's as soon as we've got everything patched in and, and we know it's all connected, we walk around, tap each microphone, make sure it shows up and there's no noise on the line. And this is ultimately just to make sure that all the connections work. Right. And this might be because we're using someone else's stage boxes or we're using someone else's splits or maybe we're using the whole rig that someone else has put together. And fortunately, you know, we're usually the headliner, so we get all this time to be able to do this properly, right? Mm-hmm. And then after we've done that, then we actually do line check. And this is actually before the band's there. So we are now actually hitting the drums and maybe it's a rental kit and I need to do a bunch of different EQs than I normally do. Um, maybe it's a rental bass amp, maybe it's a rental guitar amp and I need to change a bunch of these things. For our tour, this is our time for us to get it as close to it normally is before mm. the band gets there. Ah. And then after we've gone through all of that, then we do a sound check and sound check for us is when the whole band is there. And hopefully by then, yeah, and hopefully by then we've already kind of gotten the tones sounding correct and things like that because ultimately we right. don't want to make them wait. Yeah, true. When you're on a certain level, you can't have your band show up and then just hang out for a two-hour sound check. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and most of that time is them waiting for you to get things EQ'd and, and gained and stuff like that. We can't do that. So in the context of how we do our gig, we take as much time as we need as a crew and then use as little time as possible for the artist themselves to get settled so that the majority of their time is them being able to work on the things they need like maybe they want to work on a new arrangement maybe they didn't like something in the last show maybe they just want to jam yeah you know so we do we break it into three totally separate things if you can do it you know that's the departmentalized version especially starting out you're not going to have that luxury (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) you're going to be all all three of those things are going to be in one half hour or 20 minute process (laughs) you know um and you know if 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 there's a deadline or a noisy line you've you know you're figuring that out after you've already done the whole drum kit and the whole bass rig and the band standing there looking at you and and it sucks. Totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I guess to jump back to order of channels, though. I was going to say, so it's going to be different for those three oh, yeah. scenarios, right? If you have three separate scenarios, yeah. Correct, yeah. And, uh, I mean, if I was doing yeah. it for the for the scratch test and the line check, I would just go in order from channel one all the way up to whatever channel we're using. You know, you know what's funny is we don't even do that. We do it per riser. We do every oh, input right. on the drum riser, and that yeah, might that, not be in order. Sense. And then we do all the inputs on the keyboard right. So the tech doesn't have to bounce around. Yeah, because we, it might be one guy doing it, and I don't want him to have to go from here to that vocal, to here to that, to this, you know, and jump around. Yeah. So we do all the things in one position, um, and then the next position, then the next that's position. That's true. Actually, if, if I had thought about that for a couple seconds more, that's, like, definitely <laughs> <laughs> what I do. Because I'm not going to, like, come back to the drum vocal if that is at the end of, of the inputs. You know, I'm going to test it right there. Right. But I, th- I think typical workflow, though, for a line check is you go through it in order of the inputs, pretty much in the order of the input list, right? Yeah, yeah. that way, you know, it's it's uh, linear and you're not bouncing around and confused as to what you have seen or haven't seen. So, so let's jump to the scenario of line check plus tap check plus sound check is all mm-hmm. one, one thing. thing. You know, what, yeah. w- Brendan, what is the order of channels you hit? Um. A lot of the times it is just that normal order, starting with kick and going up through the regular channels, um, like in that order. But I know we are going to talk about this, but when I'm at front of house, I like to start with the vocals first 
because everything is going to be shooting through those vocal mics yeah. later on. So right. I, I know that that helps me out when I'm at front of house. So starting there and also so you can hear what everyone's saying on stage, <laughs> you know, to you, you know, that's Definitely. super important. Yeah, too. that's important. That's what I was about yeah. to say. Yeah. It also, it kind of defines the volume of the whole show, you right? Know? like you, your vocals are there and you know, you know that everything else is going to have to kind of be under that. Like there's almost no sense in dialing a fat, loud kick drum, but then the singer comes on stage and he's whispering. It's like, okay, well, gotta, gotta undo that. Cause there's no way that's going with this vocal. Definitely. You know what I mean? So, it, it, it's almost like we should we should kind of break down break this whole process down to how mm. it's normally done versus what we may feel is a more optimal yeah, way to sense. do it right how it's normally done right is people put a kick drum uh you know get it all eq'd start sending it around then they get a snare drum and they start sending it around then they maybe hi-hat and start sending around then toms and everyone's like no i don't want that <laughs> and then you know move on to other stuff but but um it's, this lines up exactly with what you just said, Joe. Is it like, yeah, great, get a big fat kick. But then when we finally get to vocal, which is input, you know, 27, we've now filled this yeah. wedge up with a bunch of other crap, and now we've got to find space for this thing? Yeah, good luck. And and that whole time, you're not really able to communicate with anyone unless you're just yelling back and forth. Yeah. So, in my opinion, I agree with you entirely, the first things that should be pulled up are the vocals. And it's because, for the most part, the vocal is going to be 80% of those wedge mixes anyways. The lead singer's wedge mix is probably going to be 80% yeah. vocal. The, the guitar player background singer, it might be, I don't know, 70% vocal, 30% guitar, or maybe 50-50, but either way, it's going to be such a large mm -hmm. portion of that sound. And exactly as you just said, yeah. Brendan, too, the moment you put that vocal in there, once you start adding in other drums, they are adding into the drum sound that's already coming right. through the vocal. Whereas if you do it the other way around, you put in drums, you're like, wow, this mix sounds super mm. tight. Then you pull in the vocal, you're like, this mix sounds super loose. And it really affects yeah. your perception of it. You feel like everything's falling apart. And again, this is kind mm -hmm. of a psychology thing. You don't want anyone to ever feel like things got worse yeah. than they were before. Yeah, totally. Yeah, true, true. So, yeah, a, a drummer might not need snare in his wedge if he's got his own vocal in there, you know? like Yeah, I mean, I, do you guys feel that maybe the best way of operating is going from the instruments that are going to be most used in the monitor wedges, you know, and working backwards that way. So like vocals and then, I don't know, keyboards, because those have to be in the wedges if there's no keyboard amps and then guitars, yeah. bass, and then drums, something like that. I don't entirely disagree. Yeah. I mean, it, it's certainly, it's certainly interesting, right? I mean, I definitely agree that vocals should be mm -hmm. the first things you pull up, right? Because they are the primary instrument in most of these things. I, I also agree with you that, yes. They're not coming out of amps. They're not coming either. out of amps. I also agree with you that things like keyboards or, or maybe playback, if it's happening on stage, are going to have to be pulled up pretty soon, too, because they're not also not coming through amps, right? Yeah. But then where it gets complicated is that if you've also got a front of house engineer out there, you're just jumping all over the input list, and they're trying to keep up. Right. So... Mm. There, there is definitely some middle ground there where, you know, you prioritize the things that we know are going to be the hottest in those wedges and the things where the actual tonality and like maybe the, the feedback is highest risk. And if you do those things first, get them out of the way. Not only did you yeah. make it so that you can now communicate with the artist and they can hear you and you can hear them. And so can front of house. Cause if front of house mm -hmm. got those up early, then now front of house can 
be listening to the whole conversation, even the artist is having with you when they go, oh, I really like to have lots of reverb on this right. song or whatever. Now Front House also knows that. Yeah. Whereas if you waited till the end of this whole thing to get that vocal up, they wouldn't know that yet. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, yeah it's, totally. it's a bit of a middle ground. I mean, the, the normal way your average person does it, yeah, you do all the channels in order. Uh, but I don't like doing it that way. So, Brendan, you mentioned something about hands up. You got oh, We yeah. got to explain this because we need to talk about how hands up is good. Hands up is a really, really yeah, good. It's method. a good. It's a good but method. We got to explain this so that people can understand how we send what. To I think what's people. really important to mention too is like this is something that really needs to be communicated right at the start of soundcheck, especially if you have never worked with the band before. Yeah. Um, it's 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 how you're gonna 100%. make this happen and how you're gonna make it happen fast. Um, so basically what we're talking about with hands up is when you're moving through the channels, like let's say we're on vocal two and before you start doing that, you communicate to the band, like if you want what we're checking in your monitor, raise your hand up until it's loud enough for you and then put your hand down. So when you're checking that channel, I I think it's a fantastic way to do it. It's, it's the best because you're looking and you can be riding a fader, uh, sends on fader like up in someone's mix and looking at the stage at the same time as soon as their hand goes down you just stop and you look at the next hand and move to that so it's yeah yeah it's super helpful and front of house can see it too from out there everyone can see what's going on totally yeah you know the other thing i was going to point out in in regard to hands up let's say we're doing drums the first person i send the channel to is the drummer yeah and then the drummer's hand goes down. Then I moved everybody else. Yeah. If we're doing vocals, the first person I send it to is that vocalist. Yeah. Then we yeah. move on to everyone else. Good point. And Good point. The, put whoever's channel it is, put it in their wedge first kind of thing. Totally. And, and also, yeah. for the most part, the musician who's playing that instrument is going to want it the loudest in all those wedges. Yeah. So once it's there, it's already on the stage. And as we start filling it in in the other places, it is now relative volume. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, someone again. Someone might not need it, you know. Like yeah, w- once the keyboard player puts his keyboard up, you might everyone else might be like, well, "I don't need enough. <laughs> I can hear from him." <laughs> exactly. They're like, right. "I'm good. That's loud. Yeah. I'm great." You know. Yeah. Uh, I guess where that kind of gets tricky is if the person's playing guitar. Like, how do they how do they signal to you that they want more in their wedge when you're bringing up their guitar? They don't need to be playing beautiful <laughs> chords. They can just play notes. You know, just play That's an open true. E string until no- you're good. I, yeah. Nose signals. Oh, no, I was just going to say, a lot of times they're just strumming away on chords and I kind of have to, like, ask, is that enough? Is that enough? You know, because they, they don't signal to me, you know. That, that is another thing. Yeah. You need to make it really blank clear stare. to musicians what you're trying to do at the times you're trying to do it. I mean, you, you said it exactly right, Brendan. It's like, if, if they are just standing there and waiting... They're just going to futz around. Even if you're making changes, they might not know what you're doing or why you're doing it. So, you know, if you make it very clear and just constantly talk yeah. to them through this process, be like, hey, Jimmy, I'm sending this to you. You know, let me know. All right, cool. Hey, hey, Rob, I'm sending this to you. Let me know. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. You know, that kind of thing. And, you know, after you go through the whole hands thing, also just go, everyone's good? Yes. Just Definitely. as that one last check. Because someone else might go, actually, you know what? Now I need less because yeah. now it's all over the stage. Right they might not need as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And then, you know, the one extra bonus from this thing is that you make eye contact with all your musicians. And I know we've talked about this in a bunch of episodes. It, there's a trust thing and there's a psychology thing here. When you make eye can- contact with all your musicians over and over and over again, and you're doing, 
your job and it's clear to them what you're doing and it's working, it builds trust. Yeah. If something goes wrong later yeah. down the line, they trust you at this point. So they go, no, 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 he'll sort it. It's okay. Do you know what I mean? Communication, relationship building, psychology. Totally, totally. <laughs> so obviously looking your musicians in the eye is a lot more complicated if you're doing monitors from front of house. Yes. So I feel like there's a heap more things that also change when you're doing monitors from front of house. I mean, Joe, what, what's, what's the method there as compared to the method of doing it from the side of the stage? Yeah, I'm glad we're talking about this. Um, so in the majority of your like smaller to medium-sized clubs up to like maybe 500 or so capacity where a lot of beginning engineers are going to be starting out, you're going to be doing monitors from front of house. Uh, it's, it's, it's hectic. Um, it can get super uh, just, you know, just fast and uh, there could be a lot going on and a lot of, there's a lot of responsibility on your plate at that point. Not only are you building your front of house mix, you're also responsible for what these people hear on stage it's crazy. So to simplify that a little bit, you know, especially considering that these are, you know, probably smaller rooms and stuff like that, the band is going to hear the mains PA quite a bit. I so, mean, even on big rooms, it, it that still is really a thing. And yeah, and that yeah, also totally. that also makes the case too for high passing your monitor aux sense because they're getting the low end off the back of the PA mostly oh, yeah. and from the subs. So you know, they're hearing that. <laughs> oh, big time. They're, they're hearing all that stuff. So to, to make my whole monitor world easier and to try to mitigate my stage volume, start with front of house. Dial, dial, you know, go through your line check. Get the, you know, whatever channel you're working on, get it in front of house first. Um, treat it, do everything you would do. The band is going to hear it. They're going to hear that stuff coming off the PA. And you know what? Half of them might not need it in their wedge at that point. Once it's in front of house and it's at like a, an approximate show level volume then you know ask the band okay you know and, and explain to them what you're doing again communicate explain to them what you're doing say i'm going to go through all the channels i'm going to get them in the house first and then we'll work on monitors right and then just go channel by channel like that so you know vocal house okay once i'm treated there now now who needs it in the wedge you know hands so do you up. also do the hands thing absolutely yeah if you can see them yeah i was gonna say that. that's that's pretty nice though i guess because it's one of the most obvious things to be able to see yeah yeah totally so, you know, yeah, front of house first, I guess, is the workflow so, there. Dial it there, then then monitors. So then there's also the, the details of, of, of doing monitors from front of house. What about things like double patching channels? Yeah, we, we, we touched on this a little bit in a previous episode, too. But, uh, you know, it's definitely uh, useful. You know, uh, you can use a totally different EQ. Uh, you can bypass any compression, um, you know, for the monitor side and then squash the front of house. Um, it just gives you the versatility of, you know, that, that's a different speaker or a different output source, uh, depending on, depending on your room or whatever that on stage as it is at front of house. So it's going to, it's, it potentially is going to need to be treated different. Also, you're going to be fighting feedback. So it's not going to feed back the same way coming out of the wedge as it is in front of house. Um, so you'll, you'll want a different EQ for that. Yeah. Depending on the complexity you're comfortable with, like I would say, I mean, if you're using a digital console and you have the option to double up inputs going to channels, I mean, my typical workflow, if I'm kind of limited on number of channels, I would double up my vocals and send those back to monitors so that I can EQ right. them differently. Um, yeah. And that if you have a digital desk with a bunch of channels, I mean, I set this up for a church. I set up their whole first bank of 32 
as their front of house ones and then their whole second bank of 32 as what's going to their monitors so they can just like flip between it and like do a completely different monitor mix using all the channels just doubled up you know so so in a scenario like that i guess you're using a couple aux sends for actual effects for front of house and then you're using a bunch of aux sends for you know, uh, wedge mixes, ear mixes, and potentially even more effects for wedges only, right? Or wedges and ears only, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the setup can get pretty complicated, but yeah, it is important to note that, you know, typically your first step there is to double patch vocals because vocals are the right. high-risk ones since they are, the, you know, the most prone to yep. feedback. You know, it's not necessarily that important to double patch a keyboard, Um because it's not likely you're going to have a very different EQ for house than you will for the wedges. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, vo- yeah. the vocal is the main one. You know, that's, that's where you're going to run into most of your problems. Yeah, be, I would say be discretionary about what you're double patching too, because you don't want to you don't want to create extra work for yourself that's going to slow you down. Right, also. the more complicated it gets, yeah. the slower it is to run through it. Yeah, if you get a good, if you get a good fat drum sound, you know, in the house, like... And you know you're not going to be messing it with too much, at, you know, during the show at front of house, and just send it to the drums, you know, give it, give that nice, that beefy kit to the drummer too. Why not? You know, and and speaking of what you just said, you're not going to be messing with it too much front of house. We've got to make sure in this context, anything that's not double patched, we're talking about pre-fader aux sends. Yeah. So that as you move your faders for your front of house mix, you're not changing your mm-hmm. monitor levels. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. You know, a thing that I used to do way back in the day when I was, you know, all analog on these little desks and doing monitors in front of house, um, I would take my input channels and route them to groups. And on the groups is where I'd put things like compression or, or any sort of thing like that so that I could take four vocals and send them to monitors because there's no compression on those channels. But then those vocals go into a group that's got compression on it so that what's hitting front of house is the vocal through the group what's hitting monitors is the vocal on its own. So that way, yeah. the stage got no compression on their vocals, but house got it. And same for drums. I would do the same thing with kick and snare and stuff like that and bass. And That's a really good move too, because I mean, I honestly haven't been in a situation where an artist has like really wanted a lot of compression or any at all on their vocal in their, their ears or on, in wedges. Like that doesn't seem to happen to me too often where they ask for it. N- it's not a very common thing. No, especially not in wedges. Well, I, f- I feel like that was much, much deeper than we expected to get into for part one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think we, need, we need this depth, though. I think we, knew, we knew it was going to be a juicy one. We're going we're gonna to need like two more episodes for building a monitor mix, huh? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you, everyone, who's been listening to this show. And um, follow us subscribe i don't know if you can even follow us we don't have like a social media thing but subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to it send it to your friends do all that share it and thanks see you guys next time